Hey guys, if this is your first time joining us here at Hosanna here in our building, or if you're joining us online for the first time, we want to say welcome to you. We're so glad you're all here to worship with us this morning. <laughs> if you are new, I am Pastor Nathan, and this morning we're going to be learning from the letter of 1 John, which we have been studying for a number of weeks now. We're going to be learning how to live life with no regrets. We're going to be looking at just two verses this morning, 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. But as I was thinking about this, I, I had a thought. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced this or ever heard this phrase or a phrase like it, you don't appreciate what you have until it's gone. You ever heard that before? You know, for some, it might be you, you leave one job to go to another, and then you realize, oh no, <laughs> the last job wasn't that bad, but it's too late. Or you have a situation where you end a relationship because you see greener grass on the other side. Then you go to the other side and you realize the old relationship was the greener grass, right? That can happen to some people sometimes. Um, maybe it's a time in life where the kids move away from home grow up and move on, college, jobs, whatever, and then you suddenly realize how much you miss them. You suddenly realize that, man, I, I wish I spent more time with them than I did, but in some instances it's too late or it feels too late. Or worse of all, when we're in the situation where we have a friend or a family member pass away and we have those moments of, I wish, you know, I wish I had invested more into the relationship. I wish I had spent more time. I wish I had taken advantage of the time that I had, but it's too late. You know, the same thing can and does happen to believers in our spiritual lives in, re in reference to our spiritual walk. You know, sometimes um, believers, we're saved. God has saved us, redeemed us, right? We're regenerated. But, but we might have seasons of life or seasons in our walk where we just kind of stumble through life saved, but barely investing into that relationship that we get to have, that we have the honor of having with God here on this planet. And then a crisis hits, something terrible happens in life, and it's often in those moments you realize, you know, how much of the fruit of that relationship you, you, you lack, or at least feel like you lack, because God never left. God didn't go anywhere. But worse than that, imagine crossing over into eternity at the time of death, the time when you leave this plane of existence and you stand before the Lord and, and you suddenly realize how much of the life that you were given here you squandered just chasing after the trinkets of this world, the things of this world. I honestly don't think any believer wants to be in that position when we stand before God at the end of our lives. But sometimes, truth be told, and I've been there as well, we go through seasons where maybe we live like we do, or at least we live like we don't care if we do. Well, here in verses 28 and 29 of the second chapter of 1 John, John is actually transitioning. These are, these are a couple transition verses here in this letter, and he's closing out the previous section of the letter, chapters one and two, largely closing out the section there where he's been focusing on this concept of remaining in Christ. And really the overall concept of, of, of staying in fellowship with God. Not talking about a salvational type of issue per se, but, but keeping that close fellowship with the Lord. And, and this idea is a big theme of this letter. John, throughout this letter, um, uses this phrase, remain in Christ constantly. In chapter two, he used the word remain, talking about our relationship with Christ 10 times, just in chapter two alone. And so he, he, he's been developing this idea of, of keeping our fellowship with God solid. 
Now, we know that God doesn't leave us, God doesn't forsake us, God doesn't turn his face from us when we mess up, but there are things that happen when we mess up that cause us to want to separate from him. It's shame, it's guilt, it's condemnation, and so we've been talking about the realities of, look, if you sin, confess. He'll forgive you. Don't forget that he's your atonement. Don't forget that he loves you, but, but, but if you say you love him, there's, there's gonna be evidence in, in your life. And he talked about, you know, if, if, you, if you say you love him and you're in that relationship with him, you'll keep his commandments. And we talked about what that meant, not keeping in perfection without error, but having that overall intent and desire in your life that I want to honor God, I want to please God. And when I stumble, I come to him and say, God, I'm so sorry, I wanna honor you. He talked about um, loving one another. He talked about you know, choosing obedience over disobedience. He talked about loving truth and pursuing truth and seeking truth and all these things that, that contribute to us um, on our end of the thing here, making sure we stay close to our Lord, close to our God, that our fellowship with him would be unbroken by sin or anything else in our lives. Well, now he's transitioning from this fellowship concept to the concept of sonship. This is the big transition in the letter, this idea of being born of God, being a child of God, what that means in our lives, um, how that truth should, should, should affect our lives. And so as he closed chapter two, really focusing on um, identifying and resisting false teachers and false teaching and, and their counterfeit versions of Jesus, chapter three, he's gonna go on to really start developing the idea of counterfeit Christians. Um, people who just simply um, say they are, but they live completely contrary in every way to, to God. And he's gonna be talking about the difference between those that he identifies as children of God and those that are children of Satan. And so he's gonna get into that in chapter three. But here, these two verses, he bridges these two topics by teaching us and introducing the reality and reminding us that Jesus will one day return for us that Jesus will one day return because we're his kids. He loves us. He's coming back for us, right? And if you are genuinely and truly his kid, he's gonna return for you. And he uses this phrase, born of him, in the verses we're looking at this morning. This, this word born, being born of God, it hasn't been used in the letter yet up to this point. This is where it is first used. And from here forward for the rest of the letter, he uses it nine more times in the remaining two chapters of 1 John. You know, the concept of, of salvation in, in the idea of a new birth, being born again, it's a huge concept in John's writings. Obviously, you go through the Gospels and his letters, you see that. And so, fellowship with God, maintaining and, and remaining, abiding in Christ, staying close to him, all as a natural result of us being born of him, being kids in his family, all of that allows us to really enjoy a genuine confidence a life with no regrets when we meet the Lord at his return. And when we live our lives in proper relation to God, when we live our lives in proper relationship to him as, as is seen in how we live and how we behave, it demonstrates to the world whose we are. It demonstrates to the world what family we belong to. It demonstrates our belief in who he is and it demonstrates that we truly do believe that he will return one day. That's what we're gonna be talking about this morning but before that, want to spend some time in worship and just praising God and glorifying his name because he is worthy. He is worth it in every way, and so we just want to do that. But join me in prayer before we start. God, we thank you, Lord. You are so worth our worship. God, who you are, what you've done for us, it changed everything, and we want to praise your holy name, God. 
Lord, as your people, we have been transformed by you, the Holy Spirit coming to dwell within us, a new heart being given to us, God, that we would have a new nature to be new people. Because, Lord, as, as, as real as a physical birth was, Lord, we have been spiritually born again through our faith in you, Jesus. And because of that, we know we're your kids, we know your word, and we believe your word, and we believe it is truth, and we pursue truth, God. We know that you're coming back for us. And so, Lord, we want to be ready. We want to stand before you with a confidence at your return, Lord, not, not ashamed. But we want to be ready, God, to greet you when you show up and just to, just to be so confident of the life we lived, Lord, that we honored you and glorified you um, in, in how we behaved and how we conducted ourselves, Lord. And so, God, this morning as you're transitioning from this idea, Lord, in this letter from fellowship to sonship, Lord, may we, may we understand the foundation of what being a, a child of God means, especially in the concept of, of that motivating us to live for you, God, to depend on you to do the things we can't do on our own, Lord, We love you, we thank you. God, we worship you now because you are holy. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, 1 John chapter two, (laughs) let's jump in. Uh, We're looking at verses 28 and 29 today, as I said, and um, I'm gonna just read them for context and then we'll start uh, walking through. Um, 1 John chapter two, verse 28. He says, so now, little children, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So these verses, they start there with that phrase, so now, and, and that's what indicates John's beginning of a new thought, right? It's, it's kind of like the, and then, so because of, and he's, he's transferring to a whole new thought here. He's bridging, as I said in the introduction here, the fellowship section of this letter to the sonship section. Now, I say the word sonship not to exclude the ladies, right? That's just a biblical term that refers to all of us being children of God, being God's, God's children. And so he's bridging this by introducing a very important theme. And the theme is confidence at the coming of Christ. Confidence at the coming of Christ. Now, he starts it out by saying, so now little children remain in him. And so he's um, um, repeating the exhortation that we've seen so many times through, through the chapters so far to remain in Christ. And he's been saying remain in him. And if you do this, you'll remain in him. And if you don't do that, you won't remain in him. And if you do this, you know the Father. And if you do that, you know him. But if you don't, you don't, right? He's been saying that over and over. But this time, as he's repeating this exhortation, he's now adding a new motivation to do so. A new reason, if you will. You know? And the reason is simply this that we may have confidence before him when he returns. That's the motivation. That's, that's what he's saying here. Now, as I mentioned, after this, he's gonna go on and really build on this concept of what being a child of God is. You know, um, chapter three, verse one, he just starts with, you know, uh, in some translation, it goes, behold what manner of love the Father has given us to call us children of God, right? He's just kind of overwhelmed by the thought, and we'll deal with that more when we get there. But But what he says here in verse 28 is referring to the confidence that he wants us to have at the return of Christ. Now, the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ, whatever you wanna call it, it's a significant and clear teaching in the Bible, all right? 
Um, the Bible is very clear about this, this, this event. Now, what's not as clear um, is the exact timing in relation to all the prophesied end time events. You know, there's various ideas about it. You can get into endless debates with people of, you know, when the rapture of the church is gonna happen in relation to second coming of Christ, and you know, and there's all kinds of ideas, you know. Um, now, none of those ideas are salvational, so personally, I'll be like, this is what I think, this is what I believe the Bible teaches, and I've taught on that, that, that myself, and, and as a church generally, and you may disagree agree with us out there, but, but we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church, and there's reasons for that. But if you say, no, I believe in a mid-tribulation rapture, or a pre-wrath rapture, or a pre-this, or, or a post, it, okay, I still love you. We could still get along. We could still have fellowship because we both are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? Um, so, so personally, I, I don't tend to want to argue those issues. I'll, I'll defend my position um, as best I can, and, and that's one of the reasons why I taught it um, a little while ago. But again, this is not to get into all those details. Um, what's clear is that he's coming back. That's what's clear. Jesus is coming back. The Bible is also clear that nobody knows the day or the hour of his return right? Very clear. Because of that, there is much said biblically about being ready. There is much said biblically about, about what we should be found doing when he returns. Because we don't know when. We don't know precisely when. There's a lot the Bible has to say about. So when he shows up, he should find us doing the right things living according to his word, living biblically. And, and, and like I said, since we don't know the exact day, um, that exact hour, we should be living Christians, the encouragement, the exhortation is to be living every day in preparation for his return. That's the biblical exhortation. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 through 44, Jesus said, therefore, be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you're also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, of course, in those days, they didn't have ADT and all the different home alarm systems, right? So to keep your house from being broken into, you would have to stay awake. You would have to stay up. You would have to be present, and that's the idea there. In Luke 12, 40, Jesus said, you also be ready because the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. And in both of those passages, the emphasis that Jesus is, 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 is putting on what he's teaching is the necessity of believers being watchful and ready for his return. That's the emphasis of those passages, is to be watchful, to be prepared, to be ready. And so, in these verses, these two verses, John uses two words that, that, that describe two possible attitudes Christians will have when Jesus returns. The two words are confidence and ashamed. Those are the two words he uses here, right? He says, little children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. The reality is, is when Jesus returns, Every single believer alive at that time, those who have not yet died and gone to be with the Lord, but those that are alive at that time will greet him in either confidence or shame. Those are the two options here. 
And so John here is like, remain in him. Stay close to him. Stay in close fellowship with him by walking in the light, not in the darkness, by walking in obedience, by walking in love, by walking in truth, right? Stay close to him in that close fellowship so that you can be assured of confidence when he appears. It's not if he appears, it's when he appears. Jesus is coming back, guys. Jesus is coming back. (laughs) I think every day I'm like, can you do it sooner? Every day as you, as you go on the internet and in and, and, and the news and stuff that's going on and, and things that, that our government's pushing and, and, and societal norms and stuff, and it's like every day it's like, you know, I'm just, I'm just, Lord, come back, you know. He is. He is. But I've said this before. There's someone in your life, there's someone in my life that Jesus died for that doesn't know him yet. And if he waits one more day so that that person would have the opportunity to get saved, well, I'm glad he waited one more day for me, right? And so, anyways. He uses this word confidence. This word confidence simply means a state of boldness, a state of courage, a state of fearlessness before someone else. That's what the word means, okay? Um, It's used four times. Um, starting here and in the rest of the letter. There's only two chapters left in 1 John, right? And so four times from here forward, he uses this word confidence. Um, He uses it uh, uh, three times to refer to confidence before the Lord when he returns, and one time he uses it to refer to confidence when we bring our prayers to God, right? A boldness coming before him. But the idea is this, is God's desire for his children, God's desire for you and me as believers, is that we would stand before him in confidence when he returns. That's God's desire, that's God's hope. That's God's want in that sense. That's, that's what God wants for you and me. That when he shows up and he's like, I'm here, we're just like, ah, oh, I'm ready for you. I'm not in the middle of something that would cause me shame. That's what he wants for us. No second guessing. No wondering about whether or not you're ready or not to meet him. But solid confidence based on the fact that you are prepared. And it's really this idea that, that, that when he arrives, we would stand before him and confident and be like, Lord, I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to hide. You know, examine me. Examine me, Lord. Yes, although I stumbled at times, although I tripped up at times, I could honestly say that my heart, the overall trajectory of my life, the goal of my heart, the desire of my life, Lord, has been to love you and to honor you and to glorify you. God, I could honestly, confidently say that because most of my life has been me choosing obedience. And God, I know that you know that I've stumbled. But God, I also know that you know that, that, that I came to you, as you said, in, in confession and, and asked you to forgive me. And so, God, I, I want to proclaim this. I've depended on you, my atonement. I've confessed when I selfishly chose darkness, but, but, but God, in the majority of my life, I loved you, not the world. I've stayed with you. I've stayed with the fellowship. I've, I've, I've stayed in, in, in a dogged pursuit of biblical truth because I wanted to know you. 
I took seriously to avoid false teaching and false teachers, those who would deny that you, my Jesus, are the Christ. He wants us to be able to proclaim that when he returns. Now the opposite of this confidence is the word he uses there, ashamed. Ashamed. Other translations um, say shrink away. That instead of standing before him in confidence, we would shrink away from him at his return. Now ashamed simply means to become characterized by feelings of shame, guilt, embarrassment, or remorse, right? It's interesting in the Greek, there's a different nuance to the word that means to feel it. And this is not the word. <laughs> it's not saying here that you will just feel shame. You will become characterized by shame is the word here. It's the idea of, of um, um, experiencing shame, experiencing guilt. You know, and interestingly enough, the actual root word to this Greek word is, is to be made ugly. To be made ugly or, or to be disfigured. Right? It's, it, it's an interesting idea that, that um, it, it's, it's experiencing shame and guilt and embarrassment and having your ugliness exposed before God. That's what it's talking about. Now, you might think, why would a believer, why would a saved Christian, why would a person who's confessed faith in Jesus Christ and received the free gift of salvation, right? Why, why would a believer be ashamed to see Jesus when he returns? Well, because... When you stand before him, and if you've been living disobediently, and you stand before him knowing that he knows, and you know that you have been living in ways that are displeasing to him, you know you've been walking in darkness instead of the light. You know you have been walking in disobedience instead of obedience. You've been unloving towards other Christians instead of loving them as we're called to do as believers. You've been loving the world instead of loving God. You, you have broken fellowship with him. When you stand before him and you know that he knows that and you realize that you made all those choices willingly to disobey, to do what would hurt him, because they're choices. They're choices we make. I'm not saying it's an easy choice one way or the other. I, I understand and comprehend sometimes the, the difficulty when the temptation hits to say no to that, right? Sometimes we, we get to the point where we believe the lie, I can't because it's so overwhelming. And, and I, I get that. I've been there. But we still have the choice. But when we realize that we made the wrong choice and we stand before him, I think it's quite literally no different than being caught in the act. Caught in the act. And shame is the natural reaction when you disappoint, when you let down someone that you profess to love dearly. Shame is the natural response to that. John wants believers to avoid this. That's why he's writing these verses. Avoid this. You know, how many of us can think of scenarios growing up as kids or scenarios in, in, in our relationships or our marriage or in parenting or, you know, whatever. We could think of scenarios in our lives where, you know, if, if mom or dad or husband or wife or kid or somebody just suddenly appeared in the moment of you doing the thing, you would be mortified, 
right? We can all think of situations like that. We can all remember situations like that. That's why when we're sinning, we tend to lock doors and turn off lights because we don't want to be seen. Some of us remember the worst possible thing that a parent could say to us. I'm disappointed in you. It's like, no, don't say that. Hit me. (laughs) Spank me. Ground me. Take away my toys. Do anything but give me that look. (sighs) So disappointed in you. Oh, heartbreaking. The shame, the embarrassment. And and none of us should, should... want our heavenly father to be ashamed at us when Jesus returns. None of us should want that, right? And, and, and none of us should want to be ashamed, not just ashamed before him, but just to be ashamed in general at, at his return. None of us should want to be there and, and be full of regrets at that moment. And I don't think any of us want that. But sometimes we live as if we do. And John is saying the surefire way to have confidence, to have no regrets at the return of Jesus Christ is to remain in Christ. To remain in Christ, to live rightly, to live righteously day by day. And this is something, incidentally, we have to do in total dependence upon the Holy Spirit, right? Because we are fallen sinful creatures. We can't do it on our own, right? If, if we were able to live righteously enough to, to be able to earn heaven, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross, Right? The Bible's very clear about this. And so we, we, we are encouraged over and over biblically to live every day. You know, this morning I woke up and I was thinking about this message and the first thing that crossed my mind is, God, help me to glorify you today. Help me to live in obedience to you today. And I'm gonna pray that prayer tomorrow and I prayed it yesterday and I want to pray it every single day of my life because I don't want to start any single day here on this earth thinking I got this. <laughs> because the second you think I got this, you don't got this. You fall on your face. You know, and, 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 and how many times have we experienced this shame that he's talking about in, 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 in maybe smaller ways, Right? When, when we sin and we stumble and we fall and our loving father just reaches down and picks us up and dusts us off and he's just like, I still love you and, and let's keep moving forward and, and, and then we're like, oh, right? That's shame in that moment and then that's a whole other lesson we gotta learn of how to not stay there and go, okay, God has forgiven me, I can move on because if the devil can't keep us sinning here, he's gonna keep us guilt-ridden over here. And, and John, as, as, a, as a loving spiritual father in the church, is just like, I don't want that for you guys. So remain in Christ. Remain in that close fellowship with him. Do what you gotta do to develop the habits of, of reading and worship and prayer. Do what you gotta do to say, look, I'm gonna figure out ways to make sure I keep walking in the light and keep walking in obedience and keep walking in love and keep walking in truth because he could show up right now. <laughs> Maybe right now. No? Get my point? We don't know. And when he shows up, I want to be found 
glorifying him and honoring him and and, in walking in obedience to him and loving my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what I want to that's what I want him to find when he shows up. And this is what John is getting at here. You know, I don't think a lot of us do well with unexpected company. Some of us do, but I think a lot of us don't, right? There's a knock on your door. Suddenly there they are, whoever they are. You know? I've had people show up at my door and, and I get it. You're like, oh no. It's that person. <sighs> okay. Gotta put on love, gotta put on, right? You know, and you're like, oh no. You know? Or maybe it's not a person that you're, you have any issues with, but you're just not ready to receive them, right? There's that knock and you, and you can't just leave them outside. You, you, you kind of got to let them in and be hospitable, right? And, and, but, but the house is thrashed, and the, the, the kitchen, the, the plates are piled up to the ceiling, right? And everything's just filthy, and you're like, oh, no. And then on top of that, you're in your nobody-can-see-me-lazy-day-at-home outfit. <laughs> you know that outfit, right? The one that's just got a few too many stains to wear outside to the world? And, and you find yourself in this situation. And what are we tempted to do? Well, shrink away from answering the door, maybe. Maybe we, we hold our breath and hope they don't hear us. Rapidly try and clean up, you know? One of the things my, my mom did when I was a kid, and I still to this day don't get it, but it's apparently not uncommon, is there was, there was a period of time where, where um, as, as she was taking care of my dad, he was sick and had a lot of issues, that that she was decided to hire a housekeeper to help with the, the house, because quite frankly, me and my brother were useless in that regard, and uh, <laughs> we, we should have done better. Anyways, um, but I remember like, okay, the housekeeper's coming on such and such day. Clean up the house. I'm like, aren't we paying them money to do this? Why are we paying them money to show up to a clean house? I don't understand. But, you know, I learned that, 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 that for my mom, she was, she was very concerned. She wanted the house to be presentable when company came over, and so it was always clean the house before the cleaner got here. And, you know, imagine if, if, if the doorbell of the return of Christ should ring at an inopportune moment in our lives. He's here. He's right outside the door. Say, like, hey, I'm here to get you. And we might find ourselves shrinking back in shame because we're unprepared to meet the king. And that's exactly who he is because when he uses the phrase at his coming, that word coming in the Greek is parousia. It's, a, it's, a, it's an official term that was used for the visit of a high-ranking official, like when a king would visit another country, when an emperor would go and visit another place, right? I mean, it's just like the, you know, when, when, when someone of high-ranking authority shows up, right, everything's in place and everything's done and planned ahead of time and the carpet's rolled out and, and all this stuff, and that's exactly who's coming, the king of kings, the lord of lords. And we want to stand before him in confidence when he returns. So if the return of Jesus in verse 28 is the, is the motivation for remaining in Christ and right living, well, then I think verse 29 gives us the foundation to, to do that from, to build that life from. So look at verse 29 with me. He says, if you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. 
Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Now, that word if in the beginning of the verse there, it's, it's a rhetorical word in the original language, all right? Um, it might be better rendered since, all right? So, so when he says, if you know that he's righteous, it's, it's, it's not meant to convey uncertainty. It's not meant to convey you might, you might not. It, it's really the concept of since you know. It's, it's like assumed that, that the truth of the phrase is there. So, so, and he's saying, you know, since you know that he is righteous, since A is true, B is true. That's kind of the statement that, that he's given us here. And so, um, so he goes, since we know that he is righteous, who's the he? Jesus, of course. <laughs> Jesus, we know that Jesus is righteous. You know, the entire preceding section, the entire context of these verses preceding this has been John trying to, to, to say, hey, watch out for those who are trying to peddle false teachings about who Jesus is. Watch out for those false teachers, those antichrists who are coming in to say, you know, oh yeah, we believe in Jesus too, but it's actually it's this. And, and, and watch out for that, right? So he's going, look, since, since you know, he's righteous. And of course, that word righteous means to be characterized by God's moral standard. You could rephrase that, right living, living righteously, right? If we know that Jesus is righteous, he is the embodiment of God's moral standard. He is the perfect example of right living. He is, in essence, righteousness. If we know that, then those who live according to God's moral standard, something we can't do on our own because we are, without Jesus, in darkness, must have a new nature. That's what he says there. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. We can't live God's moral standard without God's spirit within us. That was the whole point of why Jesus had to come and die for us on the cross. That's why we put our faith in him. That's why he doesn't just say, cool, I died on the cross, you're saved. No, no, he goes, no, I need to rip out your heart of stone. I need to give you a heart of flesh because this one doesn't work. You know, I need to give you a whole new nature. As a matter of fact, I need to, to that, that dead spirit within you, I need to rebirth that spirit so that you have a nature and a connection to God that simply did not exist before. The entire concept of being born again means that we have a new nature that did not exist prior to being born again. A nature that desires to please God a nature that desires to obey him, a nature that is then enabled by the Holy Spirit to do those things, to choose those things, right? And I keep saying choice because you go into Romans and Paul talks a lot about that. Why do I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do? Why? Because our fallen nature is still here. It's still with us. It's cohabitating. It's that roommate that won't leave. And until we're free from this body of sin and death and in our glorified bodies with the Lord, we have this, this, this paradox within us where we have this new spirit that wants to honor God and we have this old spirit that hates him. But being born again means now you have the opportunity to feed one or feed the other. And Paul said in Romans, the one you feed is the one that's gonna win. It's the one that's gonna win the fight when the temptation comes and you say, 
Yes or no? And so this whole concept of being born again, it's a new nature. A nature that wants to please God, wants to obey him, not that we do it perfectly, right? John has already addressed this. We stumble, we fall, but we have the desire to. Our, our, our general inclination is, God, I want to honor you. And so, therefore, the born-again person should be characterized after the character of the one we've been born of. Like father, like child, as you would say. This is the shift John's getting into and will then pursue for the rest of this letter. But those that are born of God will have the practice of righteousness. See, later on in the next couple studies, he's gonna get into some really uh, um, important verses that deal with some important things where he says, look, if you practice sin, you do not know God. And those verses are pretty critical because you go back to 1 John chapter 1, it says, if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. And this is incidentally one of the favorite contradictions non-believers want to point out. And we'll deal with that when we get there, okay? Um, but he says in 1 John 3.10, this is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. He says, whoever does not do what is right. That's the difference. That's how you identify those that are children of God and children of the devil. And again, it's not about being perfect without error. It's about what your overall drive, your overall intent, the overall trajectory of your life, what your, what your goal is. Do I want to honor God? Do I want to please him? Do I want to proclaim his name with my life? And so he goes, since you know that he is righteous, and this is one of those interesting things again. He goes, since you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. The word for know in the Greek is two different words, right? For, for Bible study geeks, this is the fun stuff that we get into, right? <laughs> this is the stuff you're like, ooh, ooh, why is that different? So the, he goes, since you know that he is righteous, the word there is oida. It means head knowledge. It means factual knowledge, right? And so essentially he's going, since you have head knowledge, since you have the intellectual fact knowledge that Jesus is righteous, he goes, then you know this as well, and the word there is the um, uh, gnosko. It's the word for experiential knowledge. Since you have the factual head knowledge that Jesus is righteous, then you have learned this through experience as well. And what is it? That everyone who does what is right has been born of him. You've experienced it. You've seen changed lives. You've seen your life changed. The factual knowledge that Jesus is righteous and those that are born of, him, born of him are changed, I've experienced that in my life because I changed when I got saved. You changed if you've been saved. And you've watched it happen in other people's lives when they get saved. Again, not that we become perfect people, but we have a different reason for living. We have a different motivation now, and that's that motivation to please God. But he uses that phrase, born of him. Born of him is, is, is this concept referring to a divine birth, but born of him. The of him part is the important phrase of that because it's, it's not that just you were born again. It's that you were born again through the power of God. That's the important part here. God is the source. God is the originator. God is the one who causes spiritual birth to take place. It is from God and of God. You and I had nothing to do with our physical birth, Right? Even though as a kid, that was one of my favorite things when I had to uh, follow rules I didn't like. I'm like, you didn't ask me if I wanted to be on this planet. And of course, that didn't go anywhere, right? 
We had nothing to do with it. Well, nor do we have anything to do with our new spiritual birth. Now, yes, we met the condition required for God to give birth to our spirit, the condition being faith in Jesus Christ. We met the condition. But some people want to look at that and go, no, that's the work. No, that was the choice. I exercised a choice to believe. God did the work of giving me a new heart, giving me a new nature, birthing my spirit, making me brand new from the bottom up. God did that. God did that. And there's not the tiniest hint of anything that even looks or sounds like good works that brings our salvation. There's not a hint of that anywhere in the New Testament. It's all God. So what John is saying here is, is our practice of living righteously, our practice of, of, of living righteously, living according to God's moral standard, that practice gives evidence that we there are, are indeed born into the family of God. That desire you have in your heart to say, God, I want to honor you, is evidence that you have been born into the family of God. It echoes his point from earlier in John chapter, or 1 John chapter 2. He said in 1 John 2, 3, this is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. And again, I went through that in detail when we covered those verses. Keep does not mean keep perfectly without error. It doesn't mean never make a mistake. It doesn't mean never stumble. It, it's being characterized by. It's being known as the person who, who, who follows, wants to follow, pursues after the characteristics of the one who bore them. It's the person who demonstrates they have a new nature. And we behave after that example. And the world should know we, we are of the family of God. We are born of him by the way we live, by the way we treat one another, by the way we act, by the way we serve, by the way we love. And our goal should to be, live, to be living lives in keeping with Jesus' own righteous character. That's why we study the word. That's why we study the New Testament, specifically. That's why we sing songs like, I will sing no other name but Jesus. Because it's about Jesus it's who he is, who he was, what he did. How should I live? Look at the life of Jesus. How should I treat people? Look at the life of Jesus. How should I deal with conflict? Look how Jesus did it. How do I deal? Look at Jesus. That's why we study the Bible, and that's why we specifically focus on the Lord. His character governed his conduct. So our character, being born of him, should govern ours as well. So knowing you're a child of God, knowing that Jesus will return at a time you're not expecting, it, it should be a great catalyst. It should be a great motivator that, 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 that causes us to fall on our knees daily. Asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to guide us, to lead us every single day, to empower us to say no to sin, empower us to say yes to obedience to God, to, to, to do all that. And guess what? If you are genuinely a child of God, you will have the desire within you to do so. Now, if you've been coming to church and reading the Bible and maybe attending ministry events and stuff, but you know that there's nothing in you, there's no desire in you of any way, shape, or form to obey God, well, then give your life to him today. 
Let the Holy Spirit come into your life. Let, 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 let your life be redeemed and restored and regenerated and renewed by the power of God. You've been studying, you've been looking, you've been seeking, you've been searching. Today is the day to commit. Today is the day. Because if Jesus shows up right now and you haven't been saved, it's too late. It's too late. There is no purgatory. There is no baptism for the dead. There's now. There's today. And my prayer and in, in God's desire for you is that you would be able to stand before him in confidence as a saved child of God. Now it's an important overall note, just in closing here, that, that righteousness, as I said, is an evidence of new birth, not the cause of it. Right, some people think when I get my life together, when I clean up my act, then, if you could clean up your act, you would have done it already, okay? It's the point, you can't. And Jesus says, and I love you anyways, and I died for you anyways, let me clean up your act. This being born of him results in us having a desire to do what is right, to live according to God's moral standard. And so John speaks a lot about the new birth, as I said, in his writings. And, and when we see real righteousness lived out, exhibited, um, and, and I don't mean righteousness according to man's standard, but righteousness according to God's moral standard, you can be sure that the person who exhibits it is, is, is likely a child of God. Obviously, we don't know people's hearts, but when you see somebody whose who's goal and desire is, I want to love God and glorify God, well, you can't do that without the Spirit in you. I don't believe so. You can lie about it, but not genuinely. And if you're the one exhibiting righteousness in your life, if you're the one exhibiting this, this living, this desire to, to pursue God's holy standard and bring it in your life, well, when Jesus returns and you're in that moment of living righteously and being in that, in that conduct every day, the desire is that you will not be standing before him with shame, but you'd be standing before him in confidence. Confidence saying, God, I've been living my life to glorify your name. I've been waiting for you. I'm so glad you're here. Examine me. Look at my life. I'm not hiding sin. I'm not living a double life. I'm not being two people. No, I just, God, I've been living to glorify you. And incidentally, in that moment, when we go, you know, I know I've stumbled, Lord. He's gonna look at us and go, what are you talking about? Because the Bible tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It washes it away. And when we've confessed our sin to God and said, God, I'm so sorry I stumbled and that's not my intent, that's not my desire, God says, forgiven, gone. Think about that. I think that might shame me. <laughs> I know me. No, I know the fallen me. The real me is a child of God, born of him, saved, forgiven. And so these verses teach us the reality of the return of Jesus to this earth and the importance of being ready for his return. The fact that, that Jesus is returning is, is our motivation to practice righteousness, to live rightly. You know, the, the doctrine of the second coming, the biblical teaching of that, it, it's so practical to our daily lives because it's so practically is intended to motivate us, you know. Um, it, it's a practical motivator because we, we, when we know 
When we believe that he could come right now, in any moment, when we believe that, it's gonna motivate us to conduct ourselves rightly today. And tomorrow, it'll have the same effect. And the next day, it'll have the same effect. Nobody wants to be ashamed. Nobody wants to shrink away from Jesus when he shows up at the time we're not expecting. But as I said a couple times, sometimes we live in a way that communicates we're not all that concerned about it. Sometimes we live in a way that says, you know, we, we I don't really believe it. Now, you wouldn't say that, but the actions might demonstrate that. And so John is teaching us here. When he says, so now, little children, I read that like, come on. Come on, little children. We know the truth. We know the truth. Let's live according to the truth. Let the biblical promise of his return be one of the best motives to holy living today. And if you're not a child of God, um, you need to give your life to him today. You need to get saved today because there's no more important decision that you will ever have in your life than whether you are saved, whether you are forgiven, whether you are redeemed. If you are a child of God, and although you may have moments of stumbling, brief times where it might seem like you're not concerned, I want you to know this. If you're a child of God today, your Father in heaven knows that you're his child. Your Father in heaven knows that you're his child. His spirit living within you, speaking to you, convicting you when it needs to, is proof that you're his child. Your desire to follow and obey him and to do what he's calling you to do is proof that you're his child. You have been saved, you have been redeemed, and your born-again spirit that has been made alive by God, that also speaks to you when you're doing good and doing bad, is proof that you're his child. And so make today the day that you recommit yourself to living the love that you have for Jesus Christ. I don't doubt that you love him. When I stumble and fall, it doesn't mean I don't love him. It means I made a poor choice in that moment. It means I made a choice that was unloving. But we have the opportunity to say, God, forgive me of that. I'm so sorry. Help me to not do that again. Make today the day you recommit to looking forward to his return and living like you believe it can happen at any time. Make today the day you settle once and for all, whether or not you're gonna have confidence at his return. That's what God wants for you today. I believe God's spirit is in every single one of you in this room and watching online that, that believe in him is working in you and he may be speaking to you right now of things and going, hey, that thing we've been talking about, that thing we've been working on, you know, make the commitment right now to say, God, I'm gonna set those things aside. Because God, if you were to show up right this moment, I wanna have confidence. I want to have confidence. You know, 2 Timothy 4.8 says, the crown of righteousness is reserved for all those who love Jesus' appearing. Church, let us together commit, hold one another accountable, encourage one another towards living every day, loving Jesus and looking for him. I think that just about sums up the, the, the deal. Love him and look for him. Live with no regrets. And even if he tarries in his return, even if he tarries to the point where you live a whole life loving him and looking for him, and then you physically pass from this earth in death, we're still blessed beyond measure. We're still blessed more than we should be. And if you pass from this earth living a life looking for him and loving him, then guess what? When you are gone from this body and present with the Lord, you're gonna stand before him in confidence 
without shame, knowing that you lived a life without regret. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for the encouragements, Lord. I mean, God, your word has both encouragements and warnings, Lord, and often those things are blended together. But Lord, the encouragements to live for you don't come with a, or you're not saved. God, there are indicators in the word where we can identify whether people are truly children of God or not, but the point today, the point right now, is that God, you're calling your children to live for you in a way that, that they would be able to stand in confidence at your return. They would be able to stand there with no regrets. And God, we know that is a call to every day to remain in Christ. And God, we desperately need your help to do that. And so we cry out and we say, God, help us. Fill us with your spirit. Move and work through us. That we would choose obedience. That we would choose light. That we would choose love. That we would choose truth. Lord, we are so grateful that when we do stumble, we have the opportunity to confess right away. We have the opportunity to trust and depend on your atonement that our fellowship can be restored and and, and maintained to that. But God, help us to not sin. Help us to live righteously. Help us to live rightly. God, that you would be glorified, that your name would be glorified, that the world would see the light of God in our lives. And that one day, Lord, when you return for us, we would stand before you in confidence, in boldness. Not trying to hide our ugliness. Not trying to put all the stuff behind the couch when the company arrives. But Lord, knowing there's nothing to hide. And we know, God, through your spirit in our lives, we can do that. And so we ask that you would help us because we are so weak and so frail without you. Help us to live confidently. We look forward to your return, Lord. We can't wait for you to come back. But Lord, should you tarry today and tomorrow and and for who knows how long, help us, Lord, every day to live in confidence at your return. We love you so much. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Let's worship.